All right, BizzleCast listeners, welcome to Bizzle's Daily Rebels, where I drop a commentary for an episode of Star Wars Rebels each day. If you want to hear more about how all of this works and where it came from, you should go to the first episode. Otherwise, I'm going to have you queue up the episode and count us into it. I always advise people to put subtitles on, maybe some ambient sound so you can hear a little bit of the music and uh, sound effects. I'm going to count us down three to one, and when I say go, you should hit play, and it will align perfectly with the episode. So thank you so much for listening. Get your media files, DVDs, Blu-rays queued up to the beginning, and I'm about to count us down. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. All right, Star Wars Rebels, Season 1, Episode 3, Droids in Distress. So for the first uh, normal episode, um, after the Spark of Rebellion, they did the smart thing and did a somewhat standalone episode, um, but did a ton of world expansion and world building, but also the ever-important with this next phase of Disney, World Connecting. Of course, the main way they do that is through the omnipresent R2-D2 and C-3PO, who must be in every Star Wars property. They're the only things that are, um, or people that are. So and this is important, that early on Kanan's little thing about arms redistributors. Uh, I mean, even Zeb's giving him a hard time about it being immoral. The fact that Ezra is sitting in the front seat and, uh, at least for the moment, <laughs> gets smacked in the head. Um, it's just that Ezra's already a part of the crew. They've been doing some runs together. Ezra talks about not having enough food, so we have to accept some time's gone by, which was smart. And while it's really fun to see 3PO and R2 here, it's, you know, they do it to serve the larger story. And the big reveal at the end of this episode of of a character um, that most of us love, despite his small appearances in the prequels and then Rogue One, Bail Organa, uh, is really the revelation uh, in terms of connecting to this time period. This episode, uh, like C-3PO himself, you really have to be in the mood for, you know, 3PO can be very grating and annoying, that's sort of part of his character, character. Um, famously Anthony Daniels, who plays him, you know, inside the body and, and just the voice, uh, is way, way, way more prickly than 3PO, I think. 3PO's like a teddy bear compared to Anthony Daniels. But they, of course, seen everything. I always forget when their memory is wiped, or if it's ever wiped. Um, I think 3PO gets wiped at the end of the prequels. I can't remember if R2 does. But they continue to serve the Skywalkers and the Organis uh, as, as the years go on. In fact, when, when, when uh, Bale takes them with him at the end of Episode 3... It's basically they're with the Organas or serving the Organas even more than the the, the quote unquote Skywalkers uh, all the way what fifty plus years to Episode Seven when they're with Leia on the in the Resistance. So this is all you know a, a con where uh, 
we buy it and of course Chopper I'm sure shocks Ezra much harder than he needs to to sell it you know they're constantly talking about selling stuff because they're constantly conning people and you can't con people unless you sell it right and so if you're pretending to be working for the Empire then the rebels have to beat you up uh, you know so like you know Zeb would take like Chopper would take the opportunity to uh, really give it to Ezra even more than they need to to sell it but as a watcher it actually works more on repeat viewings because you see how much Ezra and Chopper don't get along. You know, I, I, there's been times when I haven't watched this for a while and I watch it and Chopper's shocking him and I'm going, oh, that's just Chopper being Chopper. And then I'm like, oh, no, that's all part of the plan. Sabine is a cunning linguist, as we say. <laughs> uh, and so it's not far-fetched. Um, and... Uh, you know, that they know that there would be a protocol droid and they'd be prepared for this exact scenario. Who knows? Who cares? The more important thing is it's great to see 3PO and R2 both looking awesome, especially R2 looks, you know, lifelike. Having Chopper start fights with them, you know, it is instantly classic. I mean, R2 has a little bit of scrappiness and, uh, you know, uh, bad temper to him at, at times, but the, the Chopper, they basically just take that and crank it to a hundred. But, you know, this emp- this episode, we won't see for a while, really builds Zeb's character in his final confrontation and, and uh, you know, uh, discussion while fighting uh, with Callus. So this woman here, uh, is Minister Tua, who is the governor of Lothal, or the, just the Empire's representative on Lothal. You know, I talk about the Empire being a mob, and she's the classic case of, I can't remember if it's this season or next season, where Tarkin... Is it Tarkin or Thrawn? is basically planning on eliminating her for her, in, her incompetence. And she is not particularly smart, but she's smart enough to know that that's going to happen. Uh, and But she's dumb enough to think that she could contact the Rebellion and have them not know about it, and they end up killing her anyways. But she's going to turn just to save her hide. It's interesting that doesn't happen more often, as I was talking about uh, in the first uh, couple episodes. In the first couple episodes, Bark of Rebellion, about how the Empire, you know, acts more like a mob than an empire. Uh, you'd think people would be defecting more, more often. And, you know, as, as hopeful as Star Wars is in a lot of ways, um, it's in its, you know, cautious optimism and the potential goodness of people. The fact that most people are too scared or too corrupt to go against the Empire, even at the expense of their own interests, is certainly a um, dark but I think accurate uh, representation or analysis of, of humanity. So they keep Ezra pretty small. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, the first couple seasons. 
Yeah, Sabine, you know, typical of, of a girl, you know, who's a little, who's older than him, but way younger than, than Heron and, and, uh, and Zeb and, uh, and Kanan, I believe. You know, she's never really interested in, in Ezra, but she likes the attention, and so occasionally she'll, you know, give him just enough to, to keep stringing him along. She really doesn't, though. I mean, it, she makes it pr- clear pretty early she's not interested. But by the end of the season, she's also very much trying to get into his life as a friend. I mean, she once he's friend-zoned, you know, she really does want to be his friend, and it's it's a sweet thing. And I think we're going to see the two of them fight together a lot. I know we are based on the trailers in and, and season four and the, the early episode, which are going to be very Sabine-heavy. You know, Sabine has very much become a fan favorite, especially among girls, um, for obvious reasons. And even though she doesn't get a ton of character development in the episode, uh, or in terms of having her own episodes, they always give her little nuggets in the in the group episodes, which are most of them. And just the fact that she's an sort of a, you know interpretive impressionistic artist, who's also a graffiti artist, but loves making bombs and blowing things up, you know, it's, it's instantly a very appealing character. Plus being you know, prickly and Mandalorian herself. Mandalore became very important uh, in the Clone Wars. It had only been hinted at in the original trilogy, a little bit more with the prequels, uh, but the animated series have really made Mandalore central, um, which is cool because in the uh, the old extended universe, as they called it, the books and comic books before Disney took over, which are in canon now, um, including the video games, you know, the Mandalorian Republic, like back in the early days of the Jedi and the Sith, I mean, the, or the Mandalorian Empire was as big as the Old Republic. They went to war many thousands of years ago. They never recovered. Um, but as we see in this series, they still have colonies, you know, throughout the galaxy. It's, it's pretty cool. What what makes Star Trek great is, as powerful as the Federation is, you have all these different empires, and then you have independent planets as well. Star Wars is not always clear who belongs to what. And what I was getting to earlier with Minister Tua is the thing they do do smartly in the Empire, at least at times, is have puppet governments at a lot of these planets, but then they have their own, you know, operatives actually pulling the strings. But with as important as Lothal is, this this incompetent woman is the best that they can do. You know, and I think that again, it, a little bit is the optimism of of Star Wars in that the best and the brightest, if they have a chance to learn about the rebellion and truly know uh, and get a chance to join it, it's like the Matrix. You know, like. The people who get out of the Matrix are so smart and, and so kind of philosophically advanced by necessity. It's the only way they face such great, are able to face such great odds. Similar here with the Rebels. You know, you don't have a lot of Sabines, Ezra's, and Kanan's, and, and Hera's, and Zeb's in the Empire. Otherwise, the Rebels really would have no chance. So, yeah, I don't know what's more unrealistic, creating an entire droid army of robots who can't shoot straight in the prequels, or 
hundreds of millions of stormtroopers, none of whom can shoot straight, who are human. In the Clone Wars, actually, the clones are very effective. Their armor is better, and, and the soldiers are way better trained, even though they're clones, or uh, because they're clones, uh, which they talk about once they introduce Rex in Season 2. So this is a great Zeb episode. I mean, that's the thing. You think it's, oh, it's R2-C-3PO and a and bunch of heists and it's quote-unquote standalone. But this is the beginning of building Zeb as a really complex character. And the fact that the first three episodes, or four if you count Spark as a double, God, I hate that they do that. Zeb's major, you know, leaving Ezra behind and dealing with that in, in Spark of the Rebellion. Uh, yeah, they're talking about selling the droids, which leads C-3PO to to rat them out. This is the part of the plot that doesn't make sense. R2 immediately knows that they should stay with them. Uh, I guess C-3PO figures going back to the Empire is more beneficial, even as rebel spies, than ending up with Vizaco and, you know, sold for parts. Right, I didn't think there were any Lissots left. Now we're learning there aren't many left. He's excited about the possibility of fighting more of them. The Kalis, Zeb, I was saying the fact that they have Zeb as such a major character, you know, emotionally, in the first few episodes is, is great. And the fact that it takes almost two full seasons for the Zeb Kalis not only reconciliation, but as Zeb says, he accidentally converts <laughs> Kalis to the good guys when they're stranded on a planet together. And Zeb shows himself to be the, the better man. There's also a great episode. Um, that's bizarre, but will be super fun to talk about, where he meets some of his elders in season two, and they do this magical mystery mystical, um, what did I say, magical mystery, mystical? They do this mystical rite to find, almost like Battlestar Galactica style, to find, you know, the, the mythical original home planet where there are still Lasat because the, the the planet that was known about was basically wiped out by the Empire. So, you know, having, in science fiction and fantasy, the, the characters being orphans, and that informing their, you know, sadness and anger, but also giving them a kind of liberation, especially young characters, is a major trope. I can understand why. I, you know, when I've tried to write long-form fantasy and science fiction, I've found myself drawn to that as well because it it creates a, a dramatic backstory, but it also removes some strings, and you have to form a new family because uh, you don't have your old, you don't have your given family. But it's even though Kanan and Ezra are both orphans for, uh, for different reasons, and Zeb's civilization was destroyed. I love this design of the the visor covering the eyes. Both Hera and Sabine not only still have families, but they play very important roles on both their own home planets and in this series and in the rebellion going forward. And there's multiple episodes of both Sabine's and, uh, and Harry's families, which we will get to. I love those sort of rock formations on, on, uh, Lethal. 
There's really nothing not to love about Lothal, and that's why they keep coming back here, both in terms of the writing and internally in the story. Look at the spinning camera shot. It's just so cinematic. I mean, you know, they they decided for the first, I think, either six or eight episodes of the final season to do double episodes. You know, because... it really does lend itself but the, both the characters and the, and the cinematic film style or animation style lends itself to long form storytelling I mean Rebels is the perfect example of like you'd never think you could watch you know six episodes even though six episodes is the equivalent of a long just a long normal movie uh, you never think you watch six episodes of anything in a row, but man, you could watch twelve episodes easily, which is two long movies. Now you're speaking my language. Yep, they sell Sabine's love of explosives very subtly. Though it, there, <laughs> the actual exploding isn't particularly subtle. So the storyline here is has to do with disruptors, which is a particularly nasty form of laser energy, I suppose. That. uh you know, it doesn't just cause a hole in you, but like, I guess, like tears apart organic creatures altogether. I think disruptors have serve a similar, uh, or have a similar scientific explanation or, or purpose in the Star Trek universe, and are similarly banned, like cloaking devices. Yeah, cloaking devices is something which definitely exists in some interpretations of the Star Wars universe. I don't know if it's canon. They do have it in the game, the modern games, which are supposed to not go directly against canon, but I haven't really seen it in in, in the cartoons or the movies that I'm aware of. I don't know how Star Trek gets away from it. So what did C-3PO think was going to happen? That he was going to turn in... I think in C-3PO's dumbass mind, he was going to turn in these scoundrels, go back to the Empire, and continue to spy. And then eventually go back to... uh, Go back to their master, Bail Organa. So this is it. This is it. You know, you think you think the only resolution of this first battle and all the all the hateful dialogue that goes back and forth is one of them killing the other one or just ongoing fights throughout the series, but Zeb becomes the instrument of Kalos's turn. Uh, it's uh, it's it's beautiful. Dave Filoni, who's the showrunner of both Clone Wars and this. I don't know, again, if they had that planned. I will say this. I don't think you cast David Oyelowo to play, you know, three-plus seasons of a villain who, yes, is multidimensional in some ways. It is interesting and fun to watch and cool, uh, but ultimately loses time and again and never really changes or grows. I don't think you cast him unless you have at least an inkling that you're going to turn him at some point. This is great. The, the, again, the, the troopers just stop. 
<laughs> so, what Star Wars Rebels allows you to do is, you know, oh, this is great, and this sets up the next episode. Ooh, a force throw. I mean, he's, I don't know if he's had any actual training. Look at Kanan, he can't believe it. Yeah. So, it was a great force throw. Now Zeb owes him eternally in, 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 in Ezra's mind, and they spend the whole episode, next episode dealing with it. And what's great about this show is, in the next episode, which we'll get to shortly, you think it's excessive that they're doing a whole episode about it, but then they resolve it satisfactorily by the end of it, so that they're even though they occasionally like make fun of each other and and uh, horse around they're really cl- pretty close buddies a- after the the third episode so they just resolve it it's great it's like when Harry meets her family you think they're going to keep stringing it along but she resolves with her dad and then you know they move on to the next thing there's very little you know excessive repetition in the series on any level and I'll keep stressing this even Ezra, you know, even when Ezra loses his way, they keep finding new ways for both for him to lose it. Yep, formal Jedi training. Um, they keep finding new ways for Ezra to lose the path and to come back. And, yep, here they are. So this is, so you've watched Spark of the Rebellion, you're like, in this, and you're like, these are just scoundrels. This is actually a great likeness. Uh, I mean, in terms of the limitations of this animation style, it's a great likeness of uh, Jimmy Smith's. The voice, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Leia's voice also isn't amazing when she comes, nor is her episode, but... Right, so they don't know who he is, but... I mean, definitely before the end of this season, he makes contact with Hera. I think maybe through Ahsoka, who's Fulcrum at this point. Oh, I love this. I always forget this. He records about the Rebels. He calls them Rebels. And finally, after the end of the first normal... So three episodes in, we're like, okay, we're starting to see the the, the stories uh, already converge over the horizon to them becoming... Going from being occasional, you know, part-time rebels to full-time members of the Rebellion. Hope you enjoyed this. Next episode is Fighter Flight, which is Ezra and Zeb t- turning from hate to love. Bizzle out.